Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who's maybe not a very good teacher. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and listen, there are uh, economic concerns going on in this world that I really can't deal with on my own, let alone make sure that my students are dealing with. So just give me a break. <laughs> okay, okay, fine, fine. I will give you that that there are a lot of economic things that, that override a lot of other stuff. But like at one teacher to another, staring out the window pensively is not in <laughs> fact a te- teaching methodology, no matter how cool it makes you look. I disagree. Okay, uh, like the children was... will understand the relationship of of angles in triangles based on my pensive looks. Yes, there is a meta read of that particular uh, scene that comes up in the Tony Raines essay. Yes, uh, and I don't like to jump into the essays this early okay, usually. Sure, but, but the, la, uh, lay it on me. But I'll mention I'll, it because you brought it up. Raines suggests because of the particular discussion of angles and the forty five degrees and ninety degree angles that this is Ozu teaching us about his directorial style. This feels like an overreach. Uh, it does feel a little bit like an overreach. I would lean more towards the idea that, that in Ozu's conception of what is real modern education, probably mathematics is the, is the hallmark of that. When he thinks yeah, about think like what was the revolutionary too. teaching that came that revolutionized Japan and, and brought it to the modern age, that was mathematics specifically as it relates to engineering uh because because th- this movie is dealing in many ways like a lot of ozu films do with the idea of the modernization of i think there would also be a possibility we've seen this in say french film of the 60s uh where uh english lessons would have been just as apt right but in japanese film english lessons Though i don't know in my you, experience you know better than me would would in 1936 an English lesson make sense? Uh, it certainly as, would. As it would absolutely. But, uh, but my feeling on that is, when I've seen Japanese movies with English lessons in them, they're they they're, I don't they have a different sort of attitude about them. That's an implication of sort of like the fact that the change is coming from the outside, whereas the 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 teaching of mathematics internally implies a certain sort of like, no, this is Japan's revolution of Japan. Whereas, like, any foreign language would, by its nature, sort of have that sort of, like, old sort of uh, colonialist sort of vibe to it. And also just the way English lessons are treated in Japanese cinema. Honestly, I don't know how it applies in 1936, but in modern context to this day, learning a foreign language is seen as a feminine trait in Japan. Like, I have plenty of students who who are, you know, men, but, like... In general, when you when you do inter like when they do interviews on a sort of broad scale in Japan, they they find that like more women are interested in learning a foreign language than men are. Huh. Surveys Im- imply that it is seen as a feminine trait to want to learn another language. I I don't know why I I don't want to get into too much detail about it because like I don't have the surveys in front of me, but I've seen it multiple times. Pat, before we get into our new movie this week, I do want to talk about Patreon. 
patreon.com slash lost in criterion over there for a dollar a month you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content what kind of bonus content adam well it's always a non-criterion film over there and supporters get to vote on what movie we're going to watch i put together a list every month or sometimes take suggestions for lists from our supporters Usually, if that happens, we try to get the person on the episode as well. So we have guests over there a little bit more frequently, uh, which has been really great because uh, there's been a number of guests who their their first guest experience was on a Patreon episode uh, as a supporter, uh, and they've ended up coming coming over and joining us for real episodes, uh, <laughs> as if those are fake episodes over there. But I, you I, get what I'm yeah. saying, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we have a lot of fun over there. Uh, actually, speaking of which, one of our Patreon supporters, Adam Speakerman, was, uh, has joined us for Ozu Films in the past and uh, was hoping to join us for this one as well. Uh, unfortunately, timing did not work out on our end, uh, which is very disappointing because Adam Speakerman talking about Ozu Films is uh, usually fantastic and, mm. and very, yeah, I enjoy having him on for these. Uh, I enjoy having him on for anything, but Ozu in particular, he's been very insightful for in the past so uh adam as you listen to this just shake your head yeah i mean like we're just gonna say some Uh, stupid shit it's fine yeah yeah definitely um anyway uh that one dollar mark as i said get you access to those bonus episodes there's uh over 60 over there so you've got you know over a year of content uh assuming you don't you only listen to one podcast uh per week um which, Which you really, should. Why would you? Uh, that's what the yeah. government recommends. We do a bonus every month except for December. Our December bonus is our uh, end-of-year holiday episode that goes out to everybody. So we don't do a special Patreon one over there. Uh, just so we get you know a little break, too. Everybody deserves a little break of the holidays, Yeah, it's right? the holiday season. A little above that $1 mark. At $5 for folks who... Uh, want to help keep us going you can afford it and we're very grateful for them so grateful in fact that we thank them on air. i mean thank you so much used why you want to help us but but grateful but still grateful with with your help i <laughs> you can get this we have better. gotten to the point Sorry. with your help we've gotten to the point where patreon is now taxable income for me um well it didn't hurt that the united states government decided to lower that number by fourteen thousand dollars Yes. No, sorry. Indeed. No. <laughs> sorry, more uh, than fourteen thousand dollars. By nineteen thousand four hundred four hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I'm bad at math. Uh, but the American yeah. government is too, so it's fine. <laughs> yes. Thanks. Thanks, uh stimulus package. <laughs> it was part of the American Recovery Act. It's really the bewildering part about that. Anyway, uh enough about uh America for now. <laughs> For a little bit. We'll get Yeah. Uh, anyway, thank you so much to our $5 supporters. Uh, currently, they are Stephen Goldmeyer, Chris Otto, Andrew Jarrett, and Eric Coronado. And we're very grateful yes, to you. all y'all. A bit above that, we do something that is pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard once a month and uh, write a little personalized thank you note and mail that off. Thank you so much. To our $10 supporters, um, Jason Westaver, Nina Bojnak, Tracy McGrath, Adam Speakerman, and Patrick Yako. Uh, you've been, you you also obviously help us break that $600 mark that yes. means Patreon yeah. reports me to the IRS. 
And that's great. If you want to see those $10 level postcards without committing to the $10 mark, and, and really you should commit to the $10 mark. It you is get the that best thank plan. You too. It's, it's very good. Uh, but if you do want to see them or you want to, you want to buy old ones, head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there. You can find our postcards, greeting cards, uh, stickers. Maybe uh, T-shirts? One T-shirt currently. Because of a special request, I have turned on the T-shirt option. It may only be available long enough to do this one thing. No, I'll probably leave it up. It doesn't cost us any money. No, it doesn't. It also doesn't make us any money, as we talked about before. But Yeah, I never have to worry about Redbubble. <laughs> yeah, yeah no problem. You guys have no idea how much shit you'd have to buy to make us report Redbubble. <laughs> income. Yeah. <laughs> but we still do appreciate everyone who's yes, bought no, anything we love from it. Redbubble, even though, even though our margins are very low on Redbubble. I uh, greatly appreciate everybody who supports us on Patreon. And, uh, and yeah, greatly appreciate everybody who listens. Thanks. Pat, this week we are starting a box set called Two Films by Yasuhiro Ozu. We love an Ozu film. Yeah, we do. These are two fairly early Ozu films. The one we'll be talking about this week, The Only Son, is from 1936 and is Ozu's first talkie, his first sound film. Oh, okay. That's why they were talking about that. I haven't looked ahead in the box set. Yes. That's why they were talking about that in all the special features. Gotcha. Yeah, they brought it up in the special features. Yeah. Uh, next week's There Was a Father was uh, released in 1942. So uh, we're in that interesting period of Ozu. 36 is when the right ring power is really, you know, that's when the coup happens, right? Yeah. Late 36. So we're we're sort of concurrent with that. And then Ozu is conscripted in 37 or 38, but fairly early on, and sent to the Chinese campaign. And we've talked about that before. He was yeah, he, he was in Nanjing, saw a lot of shit, and then spent, spent basically the entire second half of World War II, if not more, in Singapore under the premise that he was making a movie for the government that never actually got made. And then as soon as surrender was announced, he destroyed everything that had actually been Right, yes, that I remember film. that now, yeah. And I'll be interested to see why, as we get in and dive into the bonus features or even watch it, maybe we'll be able to do it, uh, why There Was a Father was chosen over something. Uh, brothers yeah, and I mean, I feel like they were kind of hinting at it in some of the special features we watched this week where they were kind yeah. of talking about them as being very thematically kind of related especially as it results to like as it directly relates to like the position of like the everyday sort of working man in in this era of japanese history Um, well here's here's one one thing uh straight from the the first line of the plot description of brothers and sisters of the tota family the upper class tota family celebrates the 69th birthday of their father right Uh, yeah exactly i mean like and like the the you know the the sort of the argument that the the special features in this are making is that Ozu's career sort of tracks the general sort of like assuming you skip certain movies like that uh, tracks the overall sort of perceived prosperity of the Japanese people. Yeah. As time goes on, right? Like there's like this sort of dip here where like things are getting really bad, and so he's making sort of every man you know movies about er- the every man who are all suffering quite greatly and then post-war we see that sort of even in in something like good morning or something like that they're, they're still like they're, they're things are getting better but like it's still a, a 
a relatively speaking struggling family, right? Like they want those the three sort of like key um, sort of components of modern living, right? You know, the the we've talked about in that episode and later episodes about like, okay, what are the things you have to buy? It's like a vacuum cleaner, a, a TV, and uh, I forget, I think a ref- refrigerator um, to be like a modern family. And like they're trying to get yeah. those things uh, and they're struggling to do that, but they things are getting better, right? And it, and it seems like the career tracks with like the sort of perceived persp- prosperity of the of Japanese society with the exception of things like that one, the Oda family that like kind of has a sort of an outlier off of that, right? Where... One, one almost has to wonder how that got, what, what caused that to be made. Beginning with, I graduated, um, which is 29, and moving, moving through the early 30s, we're in, we're in the Depression. Right. A lot of his movies start to reflect that. Right. Um, it's, it, it, you know, the, the, there seems to be an argument going on in the, in, even within the bonus features about like how much, whether or not Ozu is a is a political filmmaker, right? Um, and like, you know, the on one side they're making the argument that you know, in one of the bonus features they're kind of making the argument that no, because like political films have like solutions in them or like bold right, statements, right. which is stupid, but whatever. Whereas on the other hand, yeah. uh, you know, the other bonus feature is arguing, well, like, but like reflecting the the true nature of the struggles of these families is by its nature a political act in a world where the government would much much rather you just sort of paint everything as being being all hunky dory right like i mean 1936 the government would much much rather you lie to people about what the nature of life is like right like it is a political right. act to show the world as it is, which remains true to this day, right? Like a movie that shows the 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 situation that normal people struggle under, even to this day, is by its nature a political act because it is – one cannot – I mean, one obviously can, but it's harder to look at reality and say, hey, that's – that's not true. Right. <laughs> I mean, like it happens, right? Like people do it all the time, but you you are right. trying to present the world as it is, which is inherently a, a a part of that struggle, right? I believe it was with Adam Speakerman in one of us our previous Ozu episodes. We talked about Ozu as as a political entity in that when he was young, he saw the promise of the progressive elements he was hanging out with, be they overt leftists or not and then that's sort of stripped away you know he's he's someone who who lived through that promise seeming available and then not anymore Um, right and that's that's very much you know historically that is very much in line with the depression coupled with uh the japanese response to the very beginning of the Great Depression, uh, particularly a couple years on after American exports dried up and the Depression really hit Japan, um, were that right-wing elements fermented a coup in 32. And, right, yeah. Uh, and took over. Um, and then proceeded to 
use their newfound power to try to annex China. Uh, right. I mean, by and... 1936, that 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 stuff has already start, started. I mean, like we haven't hit the yeah. uh, the Marco Polo Bridge incident yet, but like, yeah. I mean, Japan's already annexed part of Manchuria, like the like uh, northeastern China at at in 1936. It's already happened. Right. Like. We're, we're we're well on our way to that. Like, I mean, people like Oz are are seeing those things happen, and like, but he's still to a certain like right now. Like, I think um, you know, uh, Mister, you know, the the sort of the the film scholar. I I prefer the the analysis we've seen in in other times too of like uh, of Tadao Sato's like his. Uh, I like his criticism in general of Japanese film. It it's always seems very yeah. Insightful in a way a lot of other criticism of Japanese film doesn't a lot of times. It feels very aware of the context of things in a way that a lot of times mm-hmm. the other ones aren't. And, you know, he's getting into this. Like, Ozu is seemingly, like, an optimist at at the beginning, right? That, like, he wants this. It's very clear that, like, when he he was among the generation that saw all these changes happening uh you know, post major restoration, um, when he was young, you know, in the Taisho era and stuff like as being like good things for Japan. Like Japan's prospering, right? And so he yeah. believed in those ideas of like modernization and then now he's watching them fail the country because the 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 sort of international realm that they've entered into is is now fucking them over right like pretty yeah pretty hardcore and well, like I, mean, I think at that time in a free fall so, yeah but exactly yeah uh, yeah and, and i would and i would say that like i think because he has that sort of spirit in him where he believes in the modernization is like the answer i think that's why we see after the war that sort of turn back towards sort of a positive bent where he they have critiques of the occupation in them we've talked about that the post-war right. films but they also seem to point to a brighter future. Even right. the very, very sad ones uh, yeah. <laughs> seem to Much point of, towards a brighter world. Yeah. Ozu, Ozu is a director who you, you know, can only half-jokingly, but still at least half-jokingly, say uh, made the same movie over and over yeah. again. His yeah, entire I mean, career. yes, yes, he did. And... And in as much as that is true, that same movie is a story of uh, parents not understanding the world that they have raised their children in. Yes, basically, absolutely. Um, and their children have have progressed, have modernized, and the parents have been left behind. But generally, end with the parents saying to themselves. It is good that my children have done this, uh, and I I need to accept that this is the right, direction yeah. things are going, right? Um, and that's true of things like Tokyo Story. That's true of uh, Good Morning. That's true of well, okay, less true of Good Morning because Good Morning's centered on the kids, really, but um, the actual children, not right, <laughs> adult yeah. children. Yeah, but, that that one is kind of different. It, but it's but it's yeah. more of a broad look at like society in general is moving on we need to right accept that yeah uh yeah whereas this one also has those story beats generally 
uh, and still ends in bittersweetness, like some of those ones do, like on early autumn. Yeah, this one, the spring. bitter part of the bittersweetness is more bitter. Like it's the bitter yes. element is stronger. It it, it 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 feels more like a poison pill, right? You you are that is, she has resigned. The mother has resigned herself to the idea that like she's. You know, different arguments can be made, but that basically, like, her time is done, done. And maybe, right. maybe her son will be okay. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Now, the funny thing about it is, it's funny, I say, with in the wrong use of the word funny, but um, we have the benefit of dramatic, like, uh, the most intense possible form of dramatic irony that could ever exist in the fact that we know that yes. he probably isn't going to be fine. Uh, right. We know we're probably we a year a away from him being drafted, guaranteed. Yeah, um, yeah. we we know that he's yeah. probably um, borderline <laughs> the same son in Tokyo Story. <laughs> a lot of, it's not because they have a whole family, but you know what I mean. Right. Ozu deals with the idea of the death of the young men in society a lot, mm-hmm. um, and you know we see this even here in this movie with the father is gone, right? Like he. Right has to be fair he had to have been a fairly young man uh yeah just based on the sort of the framing not like super young but he was too young to die right like he was right a premature death and and you know that tends to be the impetus for ozu's stories quite a bit um and you know in, in, after the war he deals with that pretty intensively but like you can kind of feel a connection there right like the only son is probably not going to be around and he doesn't know that Ozu doesn't know that although maybe he can feel it a little bit you know obviously you can kind of read the wind right and like yeah there there's already a war happening like it's it's a war it's not a named war it hasn't been declared a war yet but like troops have taken over places people have probably been drafted already Yeah, and Ozu, you know, he's in his thirties when he's making this, and he's not a dummy. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm know? saying. Yeah, he can he can read what you know what's in the what's in the wind, and like, you know, at right now the it's all it's it's a move towards a push towards nationalistic fervor, but like you can feel that stuff coming, right? Like, and so yeah, yeah. So, uh, setting aside the the war that's about to explode. Um, have we ever, ever seen a movie that, that so encapsulates the experience of being a millennial in the U.S. than, uh, than this 1936 no, I know. Japanese it's film? Well, I mean, we haven't seen them. I'm sure there are other ones that are, that films that deal with the height of the depression and the fact that like, oh yeah, you, you pay your family... Well, at this point, it's not even your family. And it, it, the the benefit here is that this is actually still maybe the preferable version because at least your family was able to scrimp and save to send you to college, and you didn't just take out yeah. a fucking eighty thousand dollars worth of loans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, she did have to fucking sell her house and her farm. Right. It's not exactly right. a good version, I would say, but you know what I mean. Like, no, no, no. It's somehow we yeah, found obviously. a worse version of this that could exist. Right. <laughs> 
Right, right. Your family had to yeah. sell their house and their fee- their farm, and you had to take out eighty thousand dollars worth of loans. Yes. Oh uh, man. Yeah, yeah. Just the you know I that promise of education being a guaranteed good job. Right. You go to college. You you get a degree. You're gonna get hired into something that will make it all worthwhile. And uh, yeah, that is just a thing that did not happen if you graduated college in 2007, 2008, 2009, uh, you know, th- really through through today. Well, but here's the thing, right? It's like, uh, I, I have to talk about this in class, so we'll talk about it here too. Yeah. Um, we talk a lot about the myth of egalitarianism, right? Like the idea that like, right. that, that a lot of the society, you know, I specifically have to talk, I talk about Japanese society, but this is true of, of American society as well is you are sold a sort of bill of goods about the nature of the society you live in, that it is egalitarian, mm-hmm. that hard work pays off. When right. all it takes is the most basic level of structural analysis to go, now wait a minute, is that actually right. true? Um, and, and oddly enough, you know, like uh, on, in, in surveys of Japan, the Japanese population, they identify education as the most wildly uneven thing in the country. Like they, every yeah. time. They're asked like, what is, you know, rank these things as what is the most sort of unequal non-equal thing in this in our society and the answers are always education like wow and 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 right now you know and you're seeing that here too and so the 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 myth of egalitarianism has been long running right and it was sold and the myth of meritocracy right right well that's basically the same basically the same thing right the idea that you that hard work will pay off and that you will get a good job as well. Because think about it. Those people who got good jobs, like in the, in the, uh, Sato, like his, his interview, he talks about like, you know, the drop to like 30% employment of, of undergrad of, uh, recent graduates. Bear in mind those are also accompanied by massive layoffs of people who already got those quote unquote good jobs. Right. Like there, the, that, that myth is, is persistent, but like, always wrong right like oh you yeah you you could get for a while there you could get a job straight out of college a really good one yeah but how long did that job last that got you what right maybe five years maybe 10 and then you and your family were like trying to make ends meet and like scraping by right um and yeah. to certainly see that go ahead we see that in this movie with with chiju Ryu's character as well right. the the teacher who ends up working at a restaurant and having four kids and having moved to Tokyo as well. Right. Right. Uh, and, and that's seen as more successful than, uh, certainly than our, our main character. Right. Right. But, but still, but still, you know, it's not, he did not end up doing a job that needed the education level that he had achieved. Right. His dream was to go back, get more education and use that education for his job. And like in no way right. is making fried pork cutlets right. using <laughs> that particular education that he clearly got. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, there's just so much in here that, you know, doesn't, doesn't necessarily remind me of the particularities of my own experience. Um, but gets pretty close, uh, you know, uh, with him, 
with our son saying, you know, it's not a matter of giving up. I've done everything I can of, of being, being ashamed to, to let his mother know that things aren't going quite as well as, as she should, she hopes. Um, when he says things didn't go as I expected and her response is that, that, that attitude is the problem. It's just very, right. very she, much a boomer, yes. <laughs> a stereotypical boomer response to millennial problems. The, the, in, I think in the, the only world real, today. the biggest difference here is that that, that defines the difference that I would argue is the difference between her and what we would think of as our experience with that 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 sort of boomer yeah. experience is is the fact that she had never in her life prospered. As far as we can right, tell, right? Um, yeah, like she was not the benefit, the beneficiary of of a boom in society that then sort of pulled the ladder up behind her. There was, she never, she just the benefit that she had was exclusively the fact that like her at that time, and I guess this is similar but not quite the same, is the idea that like working at a factory making s- silk was paid well enough to barely scrape by sending her son to college, right? Like the like just just the pricing system was different enough and good enough that that was possible. So I guess in that sense that's true, but we don't get the impression that like she prospered exactly. Right, uh, right. Whereas it it yeah. can be very easily pointed out that like that the generation right. previous to us did prosper extensively. And then complains yes. that we can't do the same thing. Right, right. Whereas, yeah. Whereas here, the generation previous is is making a lot of sacrifices at the at the edge of prosperity. You know, she is as uh, as Sato gets into with with his bonus feature. She is uh, at the start. You know, when he's a child, her job in a silk processing plant is a prosperous job. It is a good right. one. And that's and that's why I, I was it's a bit yeah iffy, right? She is still it is iffy even within the film, without Sato's sort of meta context. It is iffy in the film because, you know, her concern is that she can't in that moment she can't afford to finance his continued education even into middle school. Right. right. You know, it's the sacrifices of doing that and the background economic changes within the country that are the difference between 1923 and 1936 that have her scrubbing floors when we next see her performing a work duty, right? She's no longer working in the silk factory, uh, at least when she leaves. Uh, to visit Tokyo, our our final scene with her, she's back in a silk factory, isn't she? Well, um, she's back in a closed silk factory, right? That right, is, right. It is not yes. functioning, and it seems she's that in I closed suspect, silk factory. It seems that from the context of the story, she is working as a cleaning lady in the silk factory employment tenement, which yeah. is where we get a little bit confusing about like where she works because she's still working with the same people. But it appears right. she's now scrubbing floors instead of making silk. And it would appear that by the end of the movie that that factory has closed, which means they're all homeless as well. Um, right. It, it 
you know, the, I guess the, the yeah, you just it's it's a it's just a complicated discussion, right? Because there's a difference between what we're we've talked about with our current situation in society and then, but she still doesn't actually understand that hard work won't pay off. She's still right. convinced of of that that egalitarian system that oh well you know you just didn't try hard enough right and the whole purpose of the one of the huge major purposes of an of a the myth of egalitarianism is to be able to blame failure on the people that the system has failed rather than blaming the system itself right and so right. she's part of that because she just doesn't understand that he's actually probably just done everything he could possibly do right uh and you know that's not going to magically make 70% of the population bullied. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no go get a better job when there just are no better jobs. Right. Right. When your economy no completely jobs, collapsed period. and there are no jobs. Yeah. 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 Their, their answer yeah. at the time was start a war. Uh, right. Our answer is make everybody deliver food to everybody else, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Ah, uh, listen, man. The, the the classic everybody does everybody else's laundry uh, scenario. The U.S. answer wasn't exactly not start a war. We just never stopped having wars. Unlike those wars, the current situation of the wars doesn't even actually employ that many people. Uh, right. Just makes a lot of ex- a very rich people more rich. They don't actually, act, you know, the the answer to the, the the Great Depression was, well, we can just make everybody who doesn't have a job into a soldier yeah problem solved i guess i don't know everybody came up with the same solution so yeah well the u.s at least took a little longer to get a solution and their first solution was okay everyone will be a government employee but right which is which is the the non-shooting everybody version of that yeah which is you know preferable Uh, i prefer to not have your solution be well we'll just start killing people yeah um. <laughs> yeah, we'll pay we'll pay Carl Reiner to learn how to write comedy and enrich our culture for the next sixty years. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do. You know, completely side to to everything here, but the fact that Carl Reiner learned learned from, to to from write the works in administration or whatever. Yeah, yes, it's, from a works yes. administration class is just it's it's beautiful. Why? It's beautiful. Anyway. Um, but yeah, the uh, the other thing the Saito uh, bonus feature gets into that I'm really interested in historical context here is he really lays down, and obviously this film is showing it, right? Ozu knows this and is showing us this, that the success of a generation of young men, the promised success of this generation of young men, but the success of the generation prior is built on the uh, support and sacrifice of mothers and sisters. Right, yes. Um, you know, here with the only son, you know, not only is the only son, he's the only child, right? We don't have any sisters dealing with this as well. We just have the mother making her sacrifices. But uh, Sato gets into that, you know, it's very common um, with with an only son or an oldest son to uh, have all the rest of the family, principally the women of the family, working just to finance 
yeah. his success, his and, education. And, right, and we and we see Ozu deal with that many more times, right? Like mm-hmm. Ozu talks about that sort of that's that is a running theme in Ozu's work, like throughout right. sort of the rest of his career that we've encountered is the idea that like none of this is possible without the wives right. and, and mothers and sisters who are sort yeah. of now toiling to make these things happen. Yeah. Eventually Ozu films do start to argue. Uh and that's not great. And the women deserve lives too. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it takes them a while right. to get to get that. But but the thing about it is I think we talked about this before. The 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 again we talk about like what defines political or not political, right? Right. The act right. of just showing the lives of these women in these movies, given the time and context, can be seen in itself as a very political right. act. It's a political right? act, right. Like, yes. other movies are not ab- being made at the time are not about the women in, right. these, in this and society at all. And we're into, you know, post-war period, very solidly in the post-war period before Ozu can start verbalizing the... Uh, Hey, maybe this isn't a great situation. You ruined the next generation by forcing your daughter to take care of you. you and right, you, yeah. Or expect, not even forcing, just expecting, right? Right, yeah, just building yeah, an because, entire society that expects this to happen without yeah. even asking anything about it or asking any questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we've talked about meta-context enough, I think. Okay, sure. Uh, get into brass tacks on the actual film. Okay, uh, sure. Yeah. You say so. I don't know. <laughs> I I just at this point I feel film. like we we only exist in the meta now we know we we have no we very that is we occasionally feel like true. we very rarely actually talk about the film anymore yeah well this is an Ozu film so we got to talk about the actual film it's his okay. first talkie and we we hang a lampshade on it being his by first having talkie a in a, a talkie way. in the movie. Yeah, by having a talkie in the movie and, and our main character lean over to his mom who cannot stay awake through a talkie, completely bored by it. Well, to be fair, I think say, hey, his mother cannot stay awake during a movie. Yeah, I, I suspect well, his mother doesn't have a lot of movie-going also, experience otherwise. Also, during a movie that appears not to have subtitles or And dubbing. be in German, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and it is, is in German. It is definitely in German and does not appear to have subtitles. I'm... I mean, that is a wild the, uh, movie-going experience right yeah. there. Uh, the Reigns essay is very, very, very fun moment in the Reigns essay in uh, him claiming, and I don't think this is unfounded. Some of the stuff Reigns says I could I could take or leave. Uh, but this one, I think, is, is interesting to at least think about. Of Because of the movie he's using, it's a real movie. I was uh, wondering about that. Film. I didn't. I didn't bother investigating. Um, I wondered about. And it. is the the debut of the director uh, who directed that movie. I cannot remember the name of the film or his or or that director's name. Uh, but it is also a film from very recent years, nineteen thirty six, made in Germany. Uh, and Rain suggests that the sentimentality of that film, and we see just enough of it to show how very different to an Ozu film it is. Yeah. In in sense, in uh grammar, uh just, you know, the way it's shot and what it what it is. Um that Reigns is suggesting this is a very subtle take that to Germany 
which in 1936, someone like Ozu would want to do, even as his country is becoming more aligned with Nazi Germany. Um, just so Reigns Reigns put that puts that as another very subtle political moment in this. It's possible. I mean, I could see him just on a more just artistic level, just wanting to compare, have a a comparison point between well, those films and other kinds of films. A a piece of evidence Reigns puts forward to suggest that is that, uh the use of the German film is a particular choice because there are only like 25 German films released in Japan in a year in that time, whereas there's 150 American films. Right. So if it was just the idea of using a foreign film, the American film would make more sense. Right, but like, so, but like 1936, like... What is Rain's specific argument about what, like, why Ozu would want to do a take that to German film? Because like, it's really, really early for this to be like that to be an active political statement. Like, um, you know what I mean? Like, um, I'd have to look up the dates, but like, Germany and Japan's alliance in world war ii was never the most like stellarly like active um sort of cultural trade practice you know what i mean uh so in no in november 36 japan had signed the anti-comintern pact right with germany so we are and so rather close relations well but that that pact was yes i yeah, but that you know, depending on which which books you read, that is more of a could be seen as a more of a has been seen as more of a political expediency because Russia is a threat to both of those two places. Um, yes, Japan has long seen Russia as a, a a military threat. Japan had literally just waged a war with Russia about ten years earlier and and beat their pants off. Uh, or whatever, however many years ago, I can't remember when the when the Russian Japanese War was. I I've lost track. It's like early nineteen well, hundreds, like nineteen something, ten, twelve, something, fifteen. I don't remember. Um, I was saying like I don't. I my understanding from what I have read is that those two were not exactly like doing active major cultural exchange. Yeah, as much as uh, it was, there was a lot of like signing up papers of political experiency and then towards the end of the war picked up on sort of like more exchange trying well, I to think, win the war basically. I think Reigns doesn't exactly say this, but I think that the fact that they they weren't doing overt cultural exchange at that point means that a choice to include a German film is right. a choice. Yeah, I see what I uh, see. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it would be, you would you like me to read what you Rain could, says? Yeah, I, I, I'd like to hear like basically yeah. here's where because like it doesn't. I so, I don't feel like the argument holds as much water as it should. Yeah, so the the film is by Willie Forst and it's uh, called Unfinished Symphony. And it's a biopic of Schubert. Actually, not that you would get that from 
what we see in the film, obviously, even if you speak German. Well, maybe if you speak German, but um, anyway. Uh, Rain says, Ozu shows us enough of the German film to make a contrast between Florid's style and his own. But the real joke is that Otsuna is so unimpressed by her first talking that she keeps dropping off. Ryosuke, embarrassed, puts on a brave show of enjoying himself while sneaking sidelong glances at his mother. The entire scene points up the fact that the only decoration Ryosuke has put up in his home is a travel poster advertising Germany. The students and graduates in earlier Ozu films always had Hollywood posters on their walls. It would be foolish to imagine that Ozu was risking a political point by highlighting a kitschy German movie and a German travel poster in this way. But in a year that saw 270 Hollywood films on Japanese screens and only 25 from Germany, Ozu's choice of force film for the scene in the cinema clearly wasn't accidental, and Ozu was certainly sly enough to think it worth dissing Germany in 1936. Uh, so he does, you know... I feel like he there's a little bit of undervalues circle, his like, own like, point uh, there. I, I right. think there's a bit of circle, circular logic there. Um, yeah. Like Ozu was, as Sato points out and has pointed out in previous things, was a American film buff. Right. But I would also argue that it's it's equally just as likely that one could say that the tides are changing actively against the continued uh, sort of connection with America as quite as, as strongly as, as, you know, as it had been, right? Like, I don't know. I, the, the, I, I would say that I don't know the answer, but I feel like Reigns is making a lot of suppositions there about yeah. based on very dubious evidence. Uh, I do. You you won't be able to answer this uh, because of established problems you have with faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, but isn't the poster on the wall? I mean, there's the other German stuff, but isn't the the woman the poster of a woman we keep seeing Marlene Dietrich? I think it's Marlene Dietrich. I could be wrong. It could uh, be. I don't even I like my I I'm to the point where I don't remember the poster yeah. so it's fine like right um like and I think I don't know I think using Dietrich is itself sort of a take that to the Nazis right I mean it could be I I you know the thing is is like it's in a lot of ways yeah I mean Japan's not as far maybe could be our you know is maybe not as far down the road as Nazi Germany is at this time right but like and maybe Ozu has strong political feelings about the Nazis but it's not like this is this feels like trying to judge the queen's mood based on her fucking hat <laughs> right you know right, what I mean right, like yeah. I feel like we've just gone too far down the rabbit hole to get meaningful data out of it it could also be I think that's that like maybe Ozu at the time was just a little bit like getting kind of like a little bit disappointed by like maybe maybe it is like maybe Ozu's feeling a little bit disappointed about what the Nazis are doing to German cinema and the right. silencing of German uh, directors and 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 sort of putting an end to creativity in what was previously 
a sort of flour- a flourishing creative artwork world of 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 Weimar Germany. I, it's possible. I would believe it. I mean, he's a he's a film dude, you know. But it could also be that like he just like doesn't want to use Hollywood films. Maybe he doesn't want to get like maybe his studio said you can't use a, an American film because they'll sue the shit out of us. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. You know what I mean? Um, like yeah. who knows? He was actually already in trouble with the studio too. Uh which is interesting. They made the studio uh, may have legitimately said you can't use a Hollywood film. Hollywood films are on the like 1936 we're not yeah. quite there yet, but there is a there is a sentiment that like J- that Japan needs to expand into the Pacific and one of the going powers in the Pacific is the United States. Yeah. So it's also possible that like maybe to a certain extent the United States is on its way out in terms of like political favor in Japan at the time. I you probably have probably literally the only way to know is if if it would be if Ozu actually wrote it down or you were physically there at the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like we make a lot of suppositions, but that feels very like whoa, super nebulous. Like yeah. ah, there's there were way more American films than there were German films. So therefore, vis-a-vis that 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 numerical situation, Ozu must have been trying to like secretly hint about how much he hated the Nazis. Yeah, I mean, maybe he did. Probably he did. I think lots of people hated the Nazis. Uh, right. Even in 1936, if they, especially if they liked art, because the Nazis were, you know, already pretty famous for not liking art. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, Reigns does bring up that that uh, Ozu was already in trouble with the production with the uh, with the studio, um, based on the sound technology for the film. The studio had a contract with uh a company to to use their particular sound system uh-huh. uh and ozu decided that he wanted to use the one that his cameraman his regular cra- cameraman mahara hideo had invented and absolutely refused to use the one that the studio wanted him to use which would have been a breach of contract <laughs> with the sound company right right uh so so to get around this uh they sent him to another studio that was actually already in the process of being demolished. Oh, wow. Uh, so this film was made in a soundstage that Ozu had to partially rebuild before <laughs> wow. using. Um, which meant that it was not is an urban environment, and some of the uh, some of the urban noise we hear that is an indication that our main character lives in a place where there's a lot of background noise and... and lives close to a factory, et cetera, uh, is really just bleed through, according to Reigns, from the actual environment that the soundstage is in. Oh, that's interesting. Like, I mean, we know yeah. that, like, the the, the clanging noise is, is very purposeful, right? Right, right, right. But, of like, course. yeah, I, I could see that. Like, there's a lot of random bits of background noise throughout the movie. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, this is... We we started down this route, and I wanted to say, this is Ozu's first talkie. He makes a joke about it being a talkie, and then we started talking about that movie. But, right. Um, but this is also Ozu, you know, everything we, 
everything we experience about an Osu film is in here, right? Um, you know, the the camera mounted three feet above the floor, uh, the the shooting conversations at forty five or ninety degrees, um, or one hundred and eighty sometimes, the uh, the long takes on empty space to leave the camera running sorts right. of things. Uh, yeah. And it's great. Yeah. I know. mean, yeah, just Ozu's tendency towards sort of like making sort of paintings, uh, yeah. those sort of domestic paintings rather than, than like action scenes. Um, yeah, is, I, it is funny. I would like to point out it's, it's not really related to our discussion, but, uh, the boys, watched the whole family watched most of these movies with me they didn't the boys did not watch the main film uh mm-hmm. Remy did although she fell asleep a bunch of times she's like boy this movie's kind of uh kind of slow and I'm like well you know yeah it doesn't really have what one would call a traditional sort of structure in that like it doesn't really like things don't necessarily happen happen um right but then they all watched both of the bonus features with me uh, and they were deeply amused by Sato's inability to just like his desperate desire to d- demonstrate his meanings. They thought it was very, very funny that he like decided to get down the floor and do and uh, do Seiza <laughs> in the middle yes. of his interview. And it was for the rest of the interview just recorded ver- like audio wise improperly because he no longer was where he needed to be for the mic to right. pick him up. Right. They thought that was amazing. It was very silly. I really, but it was interesting yeah. because I think that was the most concise sort of um, discussion that I've seen in many. It, you know, we've watched a fair number of Ozu films, and that was probably the best discussion of like specifically his relationship to filming dialogue and and filming and why he makes decisions about how to film his characters the way he does um i i really i enjoyed it it was a really interesting he again um sato's sort of film analysis always is we've we've seen him many times before and i always enjoy because he has a a certain style and and he really uh reveals a lot of interesting things i think it's it's really partially it, it comes from a place of like I understanding maybe Ozu and and some of the other directors on a on a more sort of better better contextually because it, he was a, a world he he's younger than them obviously than they were but like yes. he is aware of the of the sort of meta context uh, in a lot of ways that people I think probably couldn't be otherwise and yeah he it was just interesting to hear him talk about like why shoot all the dialogue scenes the way you he does and part of it is that i think ozu really values that that stillness um as well but but there's also that that the way someone looks to make them look good apparently sitting on tatami mats requires them to be filmed in a very specific way and you kind of see that because if you if you zoom forward in time to when advertising still featured tatami mats in japan it doesn't really anymore but you know if you like see um old beer uh advertisements where mm-hmm. uh where you know the men and women are still in like uh kimono and stuff like that they if they are sitting down they will often be filmed in a, shot in a very specific way 
uh, with certain angles that are very reminiscent of, of Ozu's style as well. Which is, you know, just neat. Yeah, it is neat. Ozu's neat. Ozu is neat. Um, Ozu is a is a I. It makes me. It's interesting though to discover because, like again, I don't think um, I've ever really watched any of these movies with any anybody else before. I have shown uh, parts of Good Morning uh, to my to my classes before. Um, yeah, but like that's not really the same experience because they don't give me active feedback while we're watching the movie. You know what I mean? Students don't feel a a burning desire to tell me what they think of the movie, like while they're watching it. Um, it is interesting to think about it from another, uh, from sort of a different perspective, which is Oz's films do require a fair bit of like audience dedication because things don't happen at a pace that, that, even in Japanese film is the the accustomed pace. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, ja- you know, I've seen enough Japanese films and, like, it. you know, at this point, they, like, Ozu is singular even in his own context. You know right. what I mean? Like, other directors do not direct the way Ozu directs. Yeah. And he's even singular within the very particular context of, women's films of his time period yes yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. i mean yeah we've seen and we've seen a fair not a ton but a fair number of films dealing with similar related sort of issues in japan at uh, in and around these time periods and he is very unique uh there is only there is and i guess only ever will be one ozu yes Yeah. We mentioned at the start of this, uh, I guess that's not true. I was going to say, we mentioned at the start of this that we weren't sure why the only son and there was a father as opposed to, you know, the two movies he made between those two or that were released between those two. I was going to say maybe they're lost, but actually it doesn't look like anything after 1936 is lost. Yeah, I would would suggest that probably those two are just probably overtly propaganda films to a yeah. certain extent. He probably yeah. didn't have a lot of creative control. The other um, narrative film he made in 1936, College is a Nice Place, which also deals a lot with uh, from from what I have read, which is and, and we got some of this in the bonus material too, I think. Um, but the script exists but the, uh, the film is lost. Uh it dealt with a lot of the disillusionment and ramifications and just portrayal of people who had gone to college and weren't able to get jobs in their fields uh, right. because of the because of the coming depression. Um, or, well, by that point, because of the depression in full swing. But, uh, but that one is lost, lost. Right, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So much. Well, until Scorsese like even, finds it in the past and even, brings it to the future. Even some of the ones that aren't marked as lost outright. Uh, like, I graduated, but I mentioned earlier, and there's only 10 minutes that exist of I graduated. Right. But, um, well, and then you look at the even this one, and you kind of feel like looking at the quality of what they're working with, you're like, well, this is kind of a miracle because it's pretty rough even yeah, in yeah. its current state. Like, 
there's obviously been a fuck ton of re- restoration done on it, and even then, it's like, well, ain't a lot to work with in this scene here. <laughs> like, there's yeah. not a lot of this film left. Right. I don't think it was. I don't think it was the final reel, but about about probably two thirds through the movie, one of the conversations with with the mom are is especially visually. Yeah, there's some very degree, like up, visually degraded, very scratched, things. and like, yeah, very. I, I, I mean, on the one hand, you know, not to get into a totally different discussion, but on the one hand, right, like, even since this movie was, since this film was restored, there's been a bunch of leaps in technology about things you can do to like, quote unquote, restore films, right? Because, you know, yeah, they do a bunch of nowadays. You can do a bunch of AI stuff to like fill in gaps and like, clean it up. But, like, then you get into this question of, like, well, is that real at that point? Or is that, like, just yeah. a computer just making shit up? Uh, so, like, you know, or is it better to just, well, we were going to preserve this in the form that we found it as in the, as high a quality as we can make it, um, given what we had as source material. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's it's like, I mean, you it, it visually degrades and then audio-wise degrades as well quite a few times uh, where you're like, whoa, boy, this, this part of the film is clearly seen better days but right especially interestingly enough on all the scenes of like black right anytime it was a fade to like black the black is just like whoa yeah something bad happened here um another moment where i feel like ozu is political without being political uh through the plot of this is you know she mom has sacrificed a little bit more she put put together a little bit more money to give to her son uh and he could really use that money right right uh but then the neighbor's son breaks his leg and he gives it to them to pay that hospital bill and that that sense of community that mutual aid as being well, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I now I got I, confused. Did here. I misread it? So his wife had been saving, setting money aside to. Save oh yes, yes. It. And his yes. wife gave him the money, which is which is you know. It's the wife's, yeah. The wife's money the that, and then she yeah. sets it aside. Has been setting it aside for whatever purposes she had in mind for it. And yeah. Gives it to him to take his mother out on the town, right? Yes. Uh, and then he gives that to the family. His mother sees that. Her heart yes. is somewhat warmed by the fact that, like, despite him not really meeting the, his own expectations or maybe even her expectations, that he is a good person who who, yes. who demonstrates good human attributes, right. right? And then so she leaves him a note with some more money that she brought that she probably didn't have really have to give right. Right. as a gift to his him and his family. Specifically, quote unquote, to buy his son something. Right, right. Uh, yes. But basically, it is like, hey, use this to. You are describing that more accurately than I did, certainly. But yes. But yeah, the, the wife sells her kimono, among some other things, and right. yeah, has the money to, to sacrifice to, to, you know, welcome the mother a little more. And then, yeah. Anyway. And, and Sato gets is, into the the sort of cultural significance of like the only daughter in law of a family 
would have an incredibly high amount of obligation to try to make mom happy at, right. at, at this time. Like the idea being that like she's she's in. And so like her like there is a traditionally a, a strong sense of responsibility of daughter-in-laws for mother-in-laws. Right. Uh, in in historically in Japanese society, especially yeah, historically in Japanese society, and so she would feel a lot of obligation to be like, try to make this a good visit for her mother-in-law, and then probably is also distinctly aware of when the mother-in-law becomes older and ill, she will need to take care of her uh, later on. So they have to. There's a strong sense of like establishing a very good, try to establish a very good relationship as quickly as possible doesn't help that the son didn't bother to mention being married but you know whatever right right obviously he has he has breached the uh traditional values in that manner a hundred percent yeah like that like it is shocking to the audience like yeah you know and it's meant to be right the audience is supposed to be just as surprised as mom is that like wait what what now say what now what did you do Slow roll of information on that, too. He's like, oh, by the way, as we walk across this field where my house is, uh, could pause for a moment. I am married. Uh, and also, when we get a little closer, and a little bit closer. Another thing. <laughs> also, by the way, I, you have a grandson. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Also, it's, I don't have the job you thought I had, and yeah. I live in a pretty rough housing place. Right. I live in a shanty town beside a factory. And the and the trash burning plant. Right. It's not undersell right. the location. Yeah. It has everything uh, a growing family needs. Trash burning and uh some sort of small small industry that apparently runs all through the fucking night. Yeah. Yeah. After the red desert, I'm just extra thinking about that terribleness of of industrial pollution as part of this and uh at least ozu ozu does actually shoot the silk factory very not lovingly but but the silk factory is also not the industry of the the garbage burning pile right it is a different it's a different type of industry well it's like that's where you kind of get into this idea i think it's pretty easy to make an argument that like ozu did buy into and like believe the hype about like the modernization of japan like a lot of people his generation did of like this 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 organized wealth producing labor is the future of this country and so you see that in the beginning of the film when like also the people doing it believed it right like the mom is engaged in that labor and and this is a good job that like the the factory is clean and it functions well and like you know obviously we know you know from a different sort of analysis and stuff like that's all bullshit but like nonetheless it was an easy story to buy into right and then it all that it collapsed right but like to, you know ozu was probably was a believer in that and like Lots of people were, and sort of part of selling the idea that that all failed is showing what it was supposed to be, right? What the dream was. Uh, 
You know what I mean? Like you, if you show, if the factory looks like shit and doesn't work when the mom is working in it, then it doesn't sell the contrast, right? You're not, you don't, then you see that like it was shit all the way from the beginning, which, you know, again, it was, but like, that's not the story Ozu's sell, like telling here. Because that's the that is the thing that Ozu's not really in the end willing to get into is the idea of like, so like, why was this actually like bad right from the beginning? Right, Ozu doesn't see it that way necessarily. Right, but it is just life, right? <laughs> it's the life he's familiar with. Right, and yeah, and he's just trying to he's trying to capture like the sort of mental like the sort of like process that him and his cohort have been on, right? Where like this was the world that like a future promises that just is already gone. It disappeared already. Right. And now mom's scrubbing floors instead of working in a silk factory, right? Like that's that's the story. Uh the other bonus feature on this, uh, we have talked a lot less about with David Boardwell. Uh, because I didn't like Kristen it. Kristen Thompson. Yeah, I didn't really like it. We either. didn't we didn't talk about it because I thought it was not as good as Tadasato's version. Uh, yeah. Now, despite being twice as long, contained yeah. less information. <laughs> yeah. uh, Sato's is certainly more incisive. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is twice as long, and it does cover a little more of his life, obviously. It does. More of his films, not more of his life. We did get some good... One of the previous bonus features on a on an Ozu film, I can't remember which one, had some good like biographical information about him at school and why he got expelled for apparently writing a love poem to a fellow male student and and that sort of thing. But right, uh, yeah. I mean, the thing about that that bonus feature was the fact that, kind of from my perspective, like. Part of what it was missing, especially when you're giving us a, them both in contrast, I feel was like kind of a mistake. Yeah. Because when you look at uh, Sato's um, version, you you get an understanding that he is is well versed in the sort of social context of right Ozu's work. It does not feel like the other two are as well versed in that. Well, partially maybe I'm I'm. I'm not maybe. I'm definitely being a snob. They're not even saying people's names right. <laughs> That's which fair. is annoying uh, for people who I are also telling can't you say that, anyone's names right. So. Yeah, but you don't you're not pretending to be an expert on Osu. Yes. I'm not, I say pretending. That's not fair. You are not an <laughs> expert on Osu. Yes. My my point is is that like it does feel to me from watching it that they are maybe not as well founded on the sort of like social context that Ozu was coming from. Yeah. Well, good news for next week is okay. that you won't you won't have an opportunity to contrast them. Uh the only only bonus feature is Boardwell and Thompson talking about there was a father for next week's. Right. And I, I yeah, well, lucky us. But like the thing about it is also theirs felt more fawning. Like Sato's is pretty fawning, but Sato's like right offering explanations whereas theirs feels more like when we accidentally have to do a movie that we both really love too much and we can't yeah. think of what things to say about it because we like it too much you know right. what i mean like they they feel 
you know, they're not wrong. Ozu is is an amazing director. I I kind of my get my hackles up anytime tells anybody tells me someone is quote unquote the greatest director of all time. <laughs> no matter who you're describing. Like you could describe literally any director on the face of the planet and my hackles will go up because it's just like that's that's like telling me this is the greatest artist of all time, the greatest director of all time, the greatest ex of all time. And like I my brain wants to get into a fist fight with you like automatically like it's just it's a it's a built-in result it's it's my version of fight or flight is like oh yeah greatest of all time huh you gotta you gotta learn to control your hackles man i it very few things do it but people telling me x is the greatest of all time for something that's inherently subjective right like if you tell me so and so is the greatest runner of all time i'll say well at least the only one, the greatest we ever found, right? Like, of course, there's that right. that old, that classic thing of like think about all the, you know, the artists and the architects and the and the engineers that we never met because they just didn't weren't in the right place at the right time to like, you know, get an education or whatever they needed to make that work. But like, at least at least with that, I can look at some numbers and be like, yes, this person ran faster than every other human being on Earth. Um, yeah. I it, I don't know I I'm I'm a not I try not to be a, as much of a contrarian as I used to be, but I can't help it when somebody tells me somebody's the greatest X kind of artist of all time. It just really like fucking like, sends me on a weird path. Like I like Ozu a lot, like a lot right. a lot, but it still makes me upset. Yeah, yeah. And then, no, what I find funny about this that, is that. If you were to write a short list of greatest directors of all time, Ozu would be on your list, but you're still but mad at them for saying it. But he wouldn't be the only person on the list. I wouldn't write right. my, Pat's. I wouldn't write in my notebook Pat's list of greatest directors of all time, Ozu, and then no other names. You yeah, but you're I also mean? not. You're also not currently being paid to talk about Ozu. So. Right, I know. But when you when you when you bill yourself as commentary. Yes. And then launch into it by first saying, let me just get this off the bat here. I will have nothing critical to say about this person. <laughs> I just want to get it out here. This person is the greatest of all time. I have n no notes. From now on, yeah. I will just spend the next 25 minutes fawning. That's also kind of boring. Uh, it's, a, you know, it's just a boring way to start your, your, your commentary section. I don't know. Yeah. If they had probably removed that and left everything else, I would have been fine. What can I say? I'm a very particular person who is, is gets gets annoyed by very very minor uh, infractions. I get it, and I also agree with you about the the Sato bonus feature being much more interesting. I mean, it just me. provides information. It's just there's, there's more information yeah. too. It's like it's a more interesting listen. It's half as long, but like feels more insightful and it's probably because that's what he was going for right like he his goal is to convey information about the context for ozu's work whereas the other one is more just explain to you why ozu's amazing those things aren't exactly that far apart but they are different activities okay so you know we this is we actually have run into the same problem they did uh Right. So I'm just not going to start that. We do that. just love this movie too much to talk about. Yeah, this about movie's it. pretty yeah. great. I mean, I really do like it. I mean, I like it. It is neat to see 
earlier versions of Ozu because you yeah. can see where a lot of the roots of the things that will happen later on come from. And in some ways, like there's some parts of it that I like less. The the acting in this is much more stilted. That's not necessarily 100% his fault, but like the acting in this can be a little rough. Uh something he irons out later on, right? Like the acting in later movies is not does not feel is still slow pace but doesn't feel uh stilted in the way this one can i mean there's no way it just at times the deliveries are rough in this um that being said uh you can get a feel for like where it was was going and also i kind of maybe like really digging into like the the immiseration of an entire nation version of uh ozu more than i like ah things are looking up for for the world ozu maybe i'm just a glutton for pain and 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 and, and suffering but like as you pointed out it's something that people of our age can relate to pretty easily and yeah. i think that that helps uh the sort of inherent prosperity like the inherent like positive outlook of prosperity that we see in, in something like good morning is and even in something like tokyo story which is not positive in quite the same way but has a sort of like positive bent can feel a little artificial not not that he's like not artificial what am i trying to say like can feel It's like watching people who don't know there's just another train wreck coming. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's the same dramatic irony that we were talking about, but, like, slightly different. It's like, yeah, it is getting better, and it's going to get better for a while. It's going to get better for, like, 30 more years, and then it's going to crash like a son of a bitch. Again. Again. Yeah. Um, And, like, and that, that he he's clearly hopeful but we don't get to be hopeful. <laughs> you know what I mean? In that way that this system is ever going to turn out fair or good. Uh, but maybe it'll work out for us. Yeah. Maybe this time capitalism will just get it right. Yeah. The X number of time is the charm. No, in no way is the cycle of a pump and then, collapse speeding up no that's impossible <laughs> uh, uh, yeah no he just mm. you know he's he you can tell post-war he is he has a hopeful bent to him and like right that's nice and the movies are nice they are nice movies that feel good to watch i have loved every single one of those movies right but this one feels so much more like real in that way. And that is because you and I know the world that these, to a certain, to, to, in a, in a weird way, know the world these people are living in better than the world that Ozu was living in in 19, in the, in the 1950s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, this one, this one is maybe especially poignant also for our historical knowledge that 
it doesn't it doesn't pop up in the movie, but it is happening, and we know particularly how it happens more of the rise of fascism in response right. to these economic right. And it is, and it's be very clear, it is a hundred percent happening in the background of this movie. <laughs> Absolutely, he's just not yes. going to talk about it. In in yeah. that way, you could almost the argument that that that's why you that, that's a different, slightly different argument for why may, one might choose the German film is like, yeah, this that this shadow, gross sentimentality that shadow of Germany behind you, yeah, yeah, and this and this gross sentimentality for like days gone by is a is a symptom of rising fascism in and of itself, right? Yeah, I wonder. One could I imagine wonder... him watching German film and saying, "Like, oh, these are getting really sickly and gross in a lot of ways, right? These are, these are like getting less substantive and more saccharine as things are changing. Right? It's possible. I don't know that that's what's happening here. Again, we have very little evidence or information, but uh, interestingly enough, Unfinished Symphony." Seems to have been a joint production with Britain. Right. Anthony Asquith is also listed as the director of Unfinished Symphony. <laughs> anyway, I looked it back up because I was wondering, you know, being being 1934, being German and being a biopic about a famous Austro-German composer, I wonder... I wonder if it was presented as sort of a propaganda piece, but but it being a joint British-Austrian production, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know how to read that. Yeah, in I don't 19, know. It's it's very like we, there's not there's not a lot of information out there anyway. Yeah, so it's really hard to get a read on like is it even one of those ones that was shooting in English in the like at night or whatever. Like who knows? Um, it seems like it probably yeah. was, but. Hard to say. I want, yeah, but I also, if it's actually an Austrian film and not a German film, does that undermine? It hundred percent does, but yeah, like everything Rain says about it, because it, yeah, I mean, if it's an Austrian production, it is not. I mean, if it's an Austrian production in thirty four, when when did when did Germany take Austria? It wasn't until a few years after that, wasn't it? I I don't know enough about history to know. I mean, officially it was thirty eight, I think, but I don't know. I mean, I'm sure. I like, I don't how. know much about. I I have, in my life, avoided learning too much about European World War uh, history during World <laughs> War Two, primarily to avoid becoming one of those guys. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, eventually you'll reach the age where you just leave the history channel. I just leave the, the history channel. That's, 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 that's all ancient aliens now. It's just. That's just yes. making me angry as I as I watch people argue that like pre-industrial civilizations couldn't have done insert thing that they definitely did here. Um, yeah. Uh, well, fun fact: uh, this movie came out in late '34. In July of '34, there was an attempted coup in Austria where the chancellor was assassinated by Austrian Nazis, but that coup oh, was quelled, and German Nazi or Austrian Nazis were. Uh, sort of went into hiding in Germany. Um, and then we have we have later 
yeah. So I don't know. That that sort of maybe does undermine a lot of what Rain says. Uh, and a lot of what we've said based on the Rain's information about, <laughs> well, it makes, about it being it, a German I mean, film. Well, uh, but like it, it more, it just, yeah, it, we had already sort of argued that like I feel like this is a dubious, dubious supposition in the first place. So yeah. this just more supports my belief that like this, there's some some at least partial ass talking going on here. Like, yeah, talking out um, of in, of your ass going on here. I should say another thing I had to laugh about from the Reigns essay is that uh, in one of his opening paragraphs he talks about how these these events of uh, the mid '30s um, and the run up to this the time period this film takes place in are covered in so many other movies made post war, uh, and the ones he names. Uh, we've seen most of them, uh, but, but he names them, uh, including Mishima's Patriotism, Oshima's In the Realm of the Senses, Suzuki's Fighting Elegy, and Gosha Hideo's Four Days of Snow and Blood, uh, which is just like all of the all of the different movies you could name. Uh, just right, it's one for each. I don't know. I've never seen Four Days of Snow and Blood, uh, but but given the the other three mapping onto a political compass pretty clearly, I wonder right. if Hideo's is is that last corner. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I should have been on edge that Rain's first first or second paragraph made me think about Mishima. Uh, just to right. Take well, the rest you know. Of that. I feel like yeah, we run into Mishima all the time. It's just <laughs> right. a thing. I it's the just number, like on a, on on any given like month, I encounter at least several people talking about Mishima and and very very uncritically. Uh, a lot of a lot of them sounding like like he sort of just accidentally stumbled into fascism like a week before he died. Yeah. Like yeah. it's very, it's very like, oh, and then he accident, and then this thing happened yeah. at the end of his life. It's like, wait, okay, you don't think that was Rains, a major component in his life almost the entire time? Rains mentions those films to talk about how talking about uh, to talk about how films of the time of the mid thirties, like this film, did not acknowledge that political context. Um, and he says, of course, one of the reasons was censorship. Uh, but then his final his final sentence in that paragraph is, but it's also true that political assassinations, army mutinies, and colonial conquests had little impact on most Japanese, who were far more concerned about unemployment shortages and cost of living. I think there are a lot of <laughs> authors from that time who would disagree <laughs> with you, but who had a little bit uh, more freedom. <laughs> To express themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the idea that the general Japanese person was not making a connection between unemployment shortages and cost of living and the Japanese uh, fascist imperial conquests they were trying to get well, started. Right. I mean, uh, and the thing is, is right, like a lot of them were, and it was like, well, this is the solution that has been come right, up with, right? right like this will right. fix the problem, right? The yeah. the problem is is whether or not you recognize at the beginning that fascism is a problem, right? Um right. It, that it's even that it is a problem f at all, right? Now, yeah. like and 
say what you know we can we can say what we will, but like you know we we have the benefit of very recent hindsight on this. Like, to be like <laughs> yes. hmm, maybe we shouldn't do this again, huh? What do you say, guys? Or still, in the case of certain countries, yes, um, looking at you, America, just just never America. really rolling that fascism train back, just letting it roll on. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't know. It's it's. There are plenty of there are plenty of artists and authors who sounded the alarm bells in 1936 in in Japan. Okay, like they, let's not pretend that they did not exist. Is <laughs> is a very it's a very I'm always a little hesitant to accept the well the normal people didn't know didn't care like that's yeah. the that's like that's always the argument that's floated out for for not for Nazi Germany too right like oh well you know you know lots of people cared though like a lot and a lot of them ended up dead so you know yeah i don't know we've we've read a lot of essays from from reigns over the years and most of them have been all right in my memory uh he did write the one for patriotism that I, yeah, uh, was not was not super happy about. Yeah, I think I it know. seems like he has a bit of a a blind spot here that he, yeah, because you know we okay like not to be like hypercritical, so I won't go too far down the path. But like, if you view Mishima uncritically, yeah. You you have obviously taken it into yourself that you're going to accept the the obvious flaws that existed in Mishima from like the jump, right? You're going to have to accept that like I don't see those as inherently disqualifying. Yeah, and we do. Yeah, and why I is see that, fascism Pat? as inherently disqualifying. <laughs> You're a fascist. I consider your art automatically disqualified. Sorry. That's the one the one fucking rule I have. And if I find out that you are a fascist later on, I will retroactively consider why did I like your work? And maybe I need to reevaluate my thought processes. Right. And value and try to determine is this a personal flaw in me? <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you take the well, time. Well, I find it. I find it problematic. I. I don't like the idea that we can't like look back on our consumption of art and say, "Hey, like I enjoyed something by somebody who turned out to that I found out later had." Well, fascism yeah. being the ultimate problematic viewpoint, right? But like, and say like, "Well, okay, like I liked that." Did it show evidence of the thing that is right. that I now know is a part of that person? Exam- and like, examining why we liked a thing in the past that we liked is never never a bad thing to do, I don't think. Right, and I and think a lot of people of aren't willing to do it because they feels, yeah. it feels painful, right? It feels yeah. dangerous to look back at your, life, your consumption in your life and, and, and try to understand whether, like, was I missing... Right. information that like I should have been picking up on was it present is it still no, worth I'm... is it still worth liking in a world with endless art is it still worth liking that thing 
this is this is something that's coming up uh in in some other stuff going on in my life right now uh but no one likes to feel shitty right right and and when you feel shitty when you're made to feel shitty uh particularly when you're made to feel shitty because you have seen reality for the first time right uh there's a limited number of ways you can react to that and none of them are really good no because your your motivation is to not feel shitty not to actually solve anything but just to not feel shitty right so so by and large uh people react to that by saying uh no it was actually good that i liked that and it's fine uh, right and and let's not let's not think about this anymore and and bundle that up and push it to the side and then there's a good amount of people uh, whose response is, what can I do right now? And that, that mobilization is immediate, but not not any actual movement building. Right, just right, yeah. Just immediate mobilization, <laughs> right? And that's, and that's where it's coming up in, in my particular uh, particularities right now. Um, but that's not, because that motivation is still... We want to mobilize now. It's just I want to so not I can... feel shitty now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of people take that approach, especially with with media. It's very easy to take that approach, right? Um, and it's okay to have liked a thing as a kid because you were a kid when you saw it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's okay to say, I don't like that anymore because I was a child and now I and, put childish and... things behind me. Uh, I think that is the hard part for for right. that is just for my part. own outside observation and, and even personally is like I don't need that piece of art anymore. Like it's yeah. okay for it to just be gone now. Like the I, my world does not make lessened by its absence. Uh, yeah, and which fits things- into my argument about the best with the best the insert greatest of X of all time is like no. Yeah. It's pretty much an endless stream of art in every kind that you could possibly imagine. Uh, you can, it, it feels very of a piece to me, but like, yeah. would life be worse without, without Ozu in my life? Yeah, it would be, but like, you know, I could find something else. I don't, I'm not going to cancel Ozu because I don't have any real reason to cancel Ozu or anything <laughs> right, like that. Right. It's like, that's not where this is headed. But- but, uh, if but you we, know, if we found a reason to cancel Ozu, yeah, if I found out that Ozu was really, really bad someday, I would have to like <laughs> do some personal evaluation on like why, why did I like his stuff and like was I missing things that I should have noticed, uh, and then also like, well, okay, but I'm just not going to watch Ozu films anymore, probably, right? Because right. like the life, I've, you know, it's fine. I think, I think anything bad we could find about Ozu, we could definitely explain away. And I don't know if that's good or not. Um, I don't know. At this point, though, like, if you found that if we f- suddenly found, discovered something about Ozu this late in the game, I feel like I the think, whole system has failed us at this point. I think if we are <laughs> if we are to really get into, like, Ozu's war diaries, there's probably some stuff we could. Oh, probably. I'm sure. Particularly during the China campaigns. Yeah, I'm yes. sure. But, uh, but at least one of them, Ozu himself said, this will never be published. Right, that was, like, and there's a, there's some redemption there, right? Like there's some yeah. redemption in that, right? Well, there's this redemption the, in this is never seen in, the light of day. Yeah, Ozu's uh, Ozu's response by the end of the war 
whatever whatever he may have thought about what was going and you know I, I mentioned this because I know a few things about what Ozu wrote during the Chinese campaign, dehumanizing his enemies during right. that. But we also know that in the second half of the war, uh, basically as soon as he could, Ozu got out of got out of where the fighting was and basically just pretended to make a movie and sit on the beach for right. the next yeah, four I mean, years. Well, that's the so. other thing, right? Is like we, we always have to evaluate our artists and stuff i'm like well if they were bad did they see the error of their ways did they yeah attempt to stop being bad right and and these conversations get complicated when we're talking about uh eras where people were conscripted and forced to participate right yeah and we've had that conversation about a a fair number of uh, artists at this point of like well did you what were your choices? Like, th- what choices right. existed for you uh, at that time? Yeah. So, anyway, we don't need to <laughs> dig yeah. into that part of Ozu. Not too yet. far. Maybe someday. Yeah, uh, yeah it could but come. But not up. yet. Back when we watched Good Morning, which was a very long time ago, it was like yes, spine. It was. it was in the 80s. So it was eight years ago or more. Um, We were approaching this project differently back then. Yeah. Do you remember, did we watch uh, I Was Born But, which was included as a bonus feature? Uh, uh, I think we on did. The Good Morning DVD. I do I th- think we did. Yeah. If we did, uh, that would mean we've seen two films Ozu made before this. Right, but, like, uh, do you have any functional memory? But I have absolutely no. Right, you know, I, did, I don't even remember whether or not we watched it. I certainly have no functional memory of it. Right. If I did, I wouldn't but ask you know, that question. Looking at the, looking at the, looking at, like, stills from it, I don't remember this. Yeah. Partially, this, this is partially Ozu's fault for naming all of his films <laughs> very much the same. The I was blank but. Yeah, um, he his he had uh, some idiot. running themes in his naming, and they can really fuck you up. Like it can be really hard yeah. to be like, which one was that one? Um, yeah, we've I don't remember we, if we watched this. I don't think we've ever watched any of nope. the I was blank, but but yeah, um, this like these 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 boys do not look familiar to me. Yeah, I'm looking at here. Yeah, I would have so remembered the... their doofy hats. <laughs> right. So that means uh, we've watched one of his silent films, and that's the only one that was earlier than this. Uh, I mean, I gotta say, like something like Good Morning is is right for like a us watching it again as a as a memorial thing somewhere up there with like yeah. Seven Seal. Not because I haven't seen it since then, but because like I have so much more to say about it than I did right. eight years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right. That's the other thing, right? Ozu, Ozu's been such a slow drip over the years that uh, yeah. that we we recognize the talent, but it's hard to, to build with the Criterion Collection as our only source of... Uh, film 
knowledge basically right yeah right? And, and especially yeah, we, with, bring, with... we bring some outside stuff to it but you know we are well, we are our curriculum our curriculum is the criterion collection so ozu's slow enough of a drip that we don't get a yeah. lot of they do that they've done that with ozu's maybe one of the slowest drips because yeah. a lot of other sort of french directors and italian directors and stuff we got a slow drip but it was like one every year or one every couple years or right. something, right? Whereas Ozu, you're like, the last time we watched him was like fucking 200 spines ago. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah. what are you doing? Like, why are you spacing this so far? Like, Ozu's like, your, is there like backup, backup picture or something? They're like, well, shit, we need to add some more stuff to the, to the collection. Well, we've got this Ozu film we've never put out before. Yeah, Throw it was actually only about fifty. In Adam, in autumn afternoon was about a year ago. But, was it uh, only a year? Yeah. I feel like it was longer ago. But like, yeah. I it's but been like, a long year. <laughs> I mean, how many Ozu films have we watched? Spread we that have over watched... eight years feels like it's not very like on average. It's not very often. It's maybe like one a year, maybe. Yeah, it's about one a year. Yeah, because I feel like we've watched somewhere in the neighborhood of seven or eight. We've watched about eight, and it's been yeah. about ten years we've been doing it, so a little yeah. less than one a year. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, Anto- that is a hell of a slow trip. <laughs> like, Antonioni, we recently got our third Antonioni, and that's a very slow slow drip that I'm grateful for because I don't want to watch more Antonioni. Well, but that's the thing. <laughs> is like I, I would say that I, the frequency with which a director shows up is maybe over the course of the entirety of the process is more important than to the criterion collection than than how often yeah like i don't know what what i'm trying to say is like i think the criterion collection ranks ozu up there with your with your like your fellinis your goddards your oh certainly your, yes you know and and i don't know and i think that comes from the fact that they're like oh yeah like we're going to put one of these in every year but we are gonna make you wait for them we are gonna stretch this shit out so far because we're releasing an ozu every year until the world burns because there's enough of them to do that with uh it's the same with like uh it's like kurosawa sort of fits into the same category though i feel like they hit us pretty hot and heavy with those in the first 500 and then have not since then yeah um, do you want, given the names you have mentioned, do you want the most surprising fact to me? Sure. Hit me with it. Our last Fellini film. It was a long time ago, right? Was very, very long time ago. I, that doesn't Our last, fami- they our hit last us- Fellini film was Spine 246. Yeah. They hit us heavy and hard with Fellini right from the beginning. Yeah. We watch a lot of fucking. That is why we have such strong opinions about Fellini. Is that we watch right. a lot of Fellini films in the first like four, like what five or six years of this project, and then have not since then. Right. Uh, anyway, uh, Ozu, I am always happy for them to make yeah. us watch an Ozu film once, Absolutely. once every year and a half or so. I I yeah. can enjoy. It's, that. it's a nice. It's a nice game we play with the Criterion yeah. Collection. Right, but we do get one more next week with "There Was a Father." Yeah, and then boxing. it'll be a while like, before we watch like, it. What are they doing yeah. here? This is too much. We're gonna get. Yeah, we're gonna hurt ourselves. Ozu overload. Yeah, well, I'm not gonna be able to take it. 
Uh, I'll have to watch that one lying down. (laughs) Well, good luck with that. Oh, man. Yeah, we've been talking about The Only Son from 1936 this week, and next week we'll talk about There Was a Father finishing up the two films by Ozu box set. Uh, Yeah, look forward to that as we look forward to any Ozu film. Uh, It's really great. Life's a Tragedy. No, I'm sorry. Life's Tragedy begins with the bond between parent and child. You knew this was going to be a depressing movie from the first title. Right, right. They let you know. He let you know very early. Indeed. Buckle Thank up. you so much for listening to Lost in Great Design. I'm as always Liam Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Ochari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Obatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening. <laughs>